All right. Can you all hear me? Hey, y'all. Hi. Yes. Good. Yes. Well, happy Labor Day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in this Choir Nerd podcast. I'm your host, Mark David Obenza, and I'm pleased to have tenor Zach Finkelstein back on the show to talk about, this time, his second release with, with me and Scribe Music uh, called Dark is Yonder Town. Um, uh, and we also have the other artists today, on the album, um, on the podcast, and uh, just want to thank you all for joining us here. Absolutely. Great. Um, before we get started, just want everyone to know that if you like what you just heard and um, want to uh, support and buy the album to own for yourself, you can buy uh, it. You can buy the music. It's in the links are in the description or also in the comment thread. So uh, there are many ways to do it through Amazon. You can go old school, buy a physical CD through Zach, um, or you can stream it through Apple Music. So I hope you'll, I hope you'll support the music that way. Um, so I, I guess briefly, why don't we just go around and introduce ourselves here? You can just tell us what your name and what you do and what your contribute con contribution was on the album. Zach. Sure. Um, my name is Zach. I'm a professional tenor. I live in Seattle with my wife, Deborah, and my son, Remy. Um, and uh, in my spare time, I make dad rock albums, which I think this, uh, this fits the bill. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, my contribution is I made it <laughs> with y'all. And um, it's just, it's a beautiful snapshot of where I was in May 2019. And and um, you know where Dieter was, and and like our musical taste at that moment, and it's just it, it really captured that hopeful 2019 vibe we all had. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun making it with y'all, and uh, I'm I'm very appreciative to have this team. Cool, Dieter. 
yes. Um, well, my name is Dieter Hemmings, and I am a professor of guitar at the University of Kentucky in Lexington. And I also play in a number of different new music ensembles, uh, one of them being the Zon Collective. Um, uh, actually, the composer Ricardo Zon will be joining us uh, shortly. I think he's waiting to get in as well. Um, and um, it is in this ensemble, the Zon Collective, where I met uh, Zach and I collaborated first with Zach. And um, we had, I think we this came up in conversations about doing a collaboration together. And um, I was very fortunate to be able to go to Seattle and and uh, and do the CD with you all uh, and of this amazing music. Uh, so very, very happy with that. Uh, and um, so, yeah, that's that's basically what I do. Cool. Jesse? Yeah, my name is Jesse Jones. I'm I'm a composer. I guess my contribution would be that I wrote one of the tracks on this album, the title track, as it turns out, um, which I'm happy about. Uh, I teach at the Oberlin Conservatory of Music um, currently. Fifth, I think I'm starting my fifth year here. Um, I know Zach from Tanglewood, which has almost been a decade ago. We've done a few collaborations together. And I know Dieter actually playing Ricardo's music. We right. first met playing Ricardo's music at Eastman again over a decade ago. So there's a, a, a fun circle here among us. Yeah. So. Great. Well, if you're just tuning in, feel free to throw in a comment or question and we'll try to respond to them as we see them show up here on the on the comment feed. Um, and I, oh, and my name is Mark David Obenza, and I had the pleasure of doing all the, the production and the, the audio recording for the album. And this is our number two together, our little, our little, our second music child together, Zach. Uh, so that's, that's, that was, that's been. That's definitely one way to put it. <laughs> um, so Zach, why don't you tell us a little bit about the concept behind the disc and, um, and, and the music choice and the programming? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just come out of, you know, in 2017, we released um, our first album. Um, it was the Britain Canticles, and it was just this, you know, magical uh, group of pieces that grew out of my love of Britain from doing the Young Artist Program um, out in Albero, um, which I learned how to pronounce. Um, and it was, it was just, it, it started from, okay, I want to keep exploring Britain repertoire. I'm, I'm really interested in early music, Dowland. Um, and I just have this, you know, and I have, obviously my son was about to be born and, um, I had all these questions about how it was going to work. How, you know, I wrote a piece on my, on my, um, site, middle class artist called 83, 83 days, which is, you know, how is this going to work when I'm gone 83 days a year? You know, how, how do I instill the values that are important to me, to my son, um, and send him off into the world potentially, um, you know, while being true to myself and um, to him and my, you know, what I value the most in the world, which is, you know, my family, music, um, and, you know, not in that order, of course, but, you know, both very important. Um, and I was really struggling with it at the time. Um, and, you know, I had uh, reached out to Dieter when we uh, worked together in Guadalajara um, for the first, my first tour of Comala, the opera by Ricardo Zon Rundun. Um, and I mean, not only did I fall in love with the music, but we were just, I mean, we we're just so in tune um, with each other's like, artistry in, in Mexico. And he just, he's such an empathetic player. And his, I mean, his, I felt like his guitar tone really matched my voice. Um, and, you know, I was just like, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something together. It might, it might involve Dallin, it might involve Britain. And then and that just kind of evolved into, you know, a full-length project. Um, we wanted to bring Ricardo's music in because it was so special to us. Um, that time in 2018 when I toured with them was like one of, that, one of the happiest musical memories uh, of my life. Um, and I wanted to share that. And the, the piece, uh, Nuestro Polvo, um, was our duet during that tour. Um, and you know, it was, it was just, it's such a powerful serenade. Um, it, it really spoke to me and I thought it really paired well with, um, the piece that I, I asked Jesse to write, um, ended up being a uh, dark as yonder town. Um, both, um, you know, both invoke this like very dark, um, you know, if you look at the cover of the album, there's sort of a person either walking into the woods or coming out of the woods. And it's like, is that the hero? Is that the villain? Like, like what, you know, where is he going? Like, 
I mean, is it better? Is, is where he going, is where he's going better than where we're at right now? Like, we don't know. There's so much uncertainty. And I was just, I was really trying to capture the uncertainty in my life at the time where I knew I, I knew I wanted to do music. I knew I wanted to have, uh, I mean, obviously I was having a child and I, you know, I was really trying to figure out how to do both and tying in, you know, um, you know, Tanglewood, which is where I, I really started my career in a lot of ways where I met Jesse and kind of like tying it off with this wonderful, uh, you know, song tour of uh, Guadalajara and um, in parts of uh, the U.S. and and um, we can talk about the themes later when Ricardo comes um, comes on the pod. But um, yeah, I mean, it just these two were like it was like the perfect bookend to that time. Um, and both pieces, ten, I mean, they ended up working perfectly together, which we can talk about, you know, from a thematic point later. But that's sort of the gist of it. <laughs> what is Tanglewood? Ah, it's a magical place. Oh man. <laughs> Um, I went, so, you know, back when I decided to reboot my life at the age of 26 and, you know, leave, leave Canadian politics and become a musician, which is a whole story for another pod. Um, uh, one of the first things I did was I went to Tanglewood and, and it was one of the most formative experiences of my life. Um, it's, uh, it's a young artist, basically a young artist program where you get together singers and conductors and orchestra members, and it's all about new music and, 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 you know, and this vibrant, beautiful Place in Western Massachusetts, which is also happens to be where my parents live, um, and um, and yeah, that's that's where I met Jesse, and it, and I, I went actually two summers in a row, and, and it really changed my life in a lot of ways. So it's a cult. Okay. It's uh, essential. Well, I mean, opera. Yeah, I mean, or, <laughs> I mean, isn't music kind of culty? No, um, no, it's it 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 just. I mean, you know, you know how you're, you know, when you're young. I mean, I wasn't that young, but. You know, in my music career, I was quite young. And, you know, those first, like, magical moments in your life when you really experience music at a high caliber, like, really, really stick. Um, and that was one of the first moments in my adult life where I had experienced people who shared my values, who wanted the same thing, that we all wanted to make this beautiful music together in this beautiful setting. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it completely changed my life. So Nice. Um. Well, why bother recording a disc now, Zach? And um, what was what was it like? I'm sure a lot of musicians. Oh, you're right. Why are, bother? Yeah, oh I God! Know. I'm sure a lot of musicians. It's over. No, I'm wondering like why even bother? Why did you? Uh, how did you go about doing it? And um, I guess I can speak more later about what that recording process was like, but. Yeah, well, the first is you have to put on the Ocean's Eleven theme, and I assembled a crack team of thieves to unlock the Bastyr Chapel. No, um, I mean, I basically got together, you know, Dieter, you and I, I feel like, are this, like, magical team. Um, and it really is just, like, a personal thing. You just put a bunch of people in a beautiful venue and, and you know, make some magic. Um, and sort of going back to the original, you know, why, um, I think... You know, it is a cliche, but we, music, I, I think, has never been more important. We're, we're heading into, a, you know, global uncertainty, um, all these things we can't control. But what we can control is, you know, being able to put beauty into the world at a time of our choosing with the people we care about. Um, and that's a very special thing. Not everyone gets to do that. Um, so I'm going to keep doing it no matter what, um, you know, even if the symphonies don't come calling for a while, I'm still going to be doing these albums. Dina and I are going to be pumping out the hits onto Facebook. Right. So, um, it just, it brings me great joy and I know it brings other people joy. Um, and I'm going to keep doing it until I can. Sweet. You know, I'm always impressed with the level of musicians I'm, I get to work with on your albums. I mean, everyone's super amazing and, uh, it was also great to get acquainted with Dieter. Another, I actually don't know. I mean, I know a few. I don't know any guitarists like you that just, <laughs> He's just a guy. tear it up. Just uh, no. I mean, maybe the only guitarist that is six foot nine. So yeah, that's, <laughs> I understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel safe around you, Dieter. <laughs> I also feel safe. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't be so sure about that. Uh, but, Did, hey, Mark. Yeah. T t yeah. Go ahead. Just by the way, uh, Ricardo is waiting for you to let him in. I think. Oh yes. Uh, oh yes. Uh, Thank he's, you. He's there. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Um. Great. Well, maybe. Well, maybe we'll make this transition now. Um. And uh, we'll make. Uh. Let's see. I did speak to. 
Ricardo, I'll be with you in a few seconds here. I don't know if you can hear me. Oh, I think you can hear me. I think four is the magic number, apparently, on this streaming service. Right. But <laughs> I know. But um, just a few a few comments quickly about the recording process and 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 what that was like. It's pretty actually simple. I mean, everyone's like, how do you get such a great sound, you know, doing doing intimates? You really, it's really 80% mic placement. You know, obviously the the people, the artists can't suck. Twenty um, percent musician. That's, that's, <laughs> right. that's, the, that's the perfect. Eighty percent mics. Eighty yeah. percent vocorder. Right. Twenty percent. In terms of production quality, it's eighty percent where you put those mics, and um, and then you have control over balance and and just technically, we used a ribbon mic, a Royer ribbon mic on the guitar, which has a nice warm sound. That's not a cheap puppy, uh, but worth it. And a Sennheiser on Zach. Just it was just three channels total, and let the room work for itself. Get a quiet room, and uh, mics in the right place, and any musician can sound like a rock star. So, um, but yeah. So I'm gonna sign out and let you four take the floor. But before I do, I just want to remind everybody, if you're just tuning in, that you can support the album by buying it on Amazon, uh, and there are links in the comments where you can do that, or you can buy an old school CD. That is a compact disc. Uh, I will say, if you live in Canada, it costs me almost as much as the album to send it to you. So yes. Buy so, two or just stream it, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I hope you will do that. And um, we're going to go on a short break here. Take everybody off. Sweet love doth now invite Thy graces that refrain To do me due delight To see, to hear, to touch, to kiss, to die With thee again in sweetest sin again that I may cease to mourn through thy unkind disdain for now left and forlorn I sit I sigh I weep I faint I die in deadly pain and endless misery love draw forth thy wounding dart thou canst not pierce her heart for I that to approve by sighs and tears more hot than are thy shafts did tempt while she for mighty triumph Hello. Hey everyone. Can we get uh, Ricardo on the on the stream? Yay! There he is. <laughs> in in the age of Zoom, we can only fit four people on this pod. It used to be called the but I've taken over. It's now the Zach Finkelstein 24-7 stream. So you're all on right now. Um, let's start with Ricardo. Um, so, you know, I admire your work so much. I'm so thankful that uh, we were able to, or you were able to arrange uh, Nuestro Polvo, the album. And, um, you know, we met during this amazing tour of uh, your opera, Comala, uh, in Guadalajara. And, um, Maybe we can just start from there talking about, uh, maybe you and Dieter um, can talk a little bit about Pomala and, you know, the role of this aria in the opera. All right. 
Sure. Well, I'll I'll start by saying that um, I so I met Ricardo uh, while I was a student at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, uh, New York, and um, uh, that's when I when I found out that he had written this piece uh, in which the guitar uh, plays such a central role. I started to try to get my hands on the score and try to learn different movements and um, found it to be quite a challenge, uh, but a very rewarding challenge uh, from uh, from the guitar perspective. Uh, the music is idiomatic, but it is wonderfully evocative and it's always uh, and it's it's sort of the it's it's almost like one of the main narrators of the score of, of, of this beautiful work. Um, and of course, Ricardo can tell us a lot more. This piece uh, continues to grow, uh, luckily for all of us, and, and more and more branches and leaves come out of this komala tree. And um, and actually, it's becoming quite the song tree, which is I'm alluding to another piece of Ricardo. Then. Um, and um, um, Nuestro Polvo has been one of the, it's been on the later end of, latter end of the, of, of the movement that has been added to this. Uh, and of course, it's just the, the, the it's, it's a dynamite number for, for, for tenor and guitar with, uh, with the other instruments supporting at the end and Ricardo arranged it for this album to be uh, just a solo guitar work. Uh, but um, yeah, Ricardo, maybe you want to tell us a little bit about Bartolomé San Juan and all the wonderful characters that uh, are uh, depicted in your, in your work. Yes, but I, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. I just want to mention a very interesting Freudian slip that just slipped past us <laughs> because uh, Peter said I arranged it as a solo guitar work, but I think it does have a tenor in it. <laughs> <laughs> it was your original intention. Well, when, Peter, when Peter's listening to the album, he just has his parts on repeat. So <laughs> that was very funny. Um, well, uh, uh, thanks. Uh, I mean, congratulations, first of all, uh, Zach and Dieter for this um, wonderful and also to Jesse for this new work there. Uh, I think it's it's fantastic that you're uh, putting this. And it's, it's interesting how uh, you mentioned this circle of, um, you know, relationships and how things unfold in life like that. Um, I met Jesse as a, as a mandolin player who was uh, studying composition at Cornell. And um, later on, I got to know his work. He came to Italy uh, for to this festival that we invited him, I don't know how many years ago. Um, and I got to know then much more of his music, which was really fantastic, uh, wonderful stuff. Um, so I'm really glad that he's collaborating with you. And I heard about Zach from John Liberator, who must have been at the same Tanglewood session. And John was studying at Eastman and told me, came with this, you know, reviews of this like amazing tenor. I mean, it was just like, oh no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. really, all, it's all true. And um, so I'm very glad that we got to work eventually and all, all the publicity turned out to be true. You know, <laughs> you really, yeah, it's been a pleasure. And Dieter, um, when I met him, it's one of the great understatements um, from someone. Uh, he, he, we met and he said, you know, I, I, I hear you have this work and um, I'm interested in the, um, in the guitar part. And he said, I'm, I'm studying, uh, I'm here to study at Lut uh, DMA uh, with Paul Odette. And uh, at the, he later became a double major, but he said, and, and by the way, I also play the guitar, you know, which was like, <laughs> as I found out, yes, he, he really did. Uh, extraordinary guitarist, really a musician, I mean, incredible. And so we, I think this Komala has been very intertwined with Dieter at this point, because for me, being in the past a guitarist, it was very difficult to come back to the guitar. And then I had written a little bit, um, and then Dieter came into the into the fold of this work, and and after that it's becoming like a guitar concertino more and more, because all the numbers have the guitar, and Nuestro Polvo was actually written partly in a guitar that Dieter lent me on the night before oh, yeah. the first performance of that I song. That. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. So he was. He had finished practice for the day. I took the the guitar to my hotel room, 
to finish Nuestro Polvo. And then the next day they rehearsed it. Uh, Paul Vallancourt told me he was coming out of the shower and heard this, you know, this song being rehearsed. So, so anyhow, it's it's just, you know, the, the character in that particular um, song is, is the, it's, it's a very sad, sad uh, text. And it's a father um, talking to his daughter who has lost her, her mind really and uh, asking her why she denies him and why she, you know, denies God and all sorts of very plaintive things. But the, the root of the matter is that the father abused her. And so this is made clear in the book and in a kind of, not, not overtly, but it's understood that that's what happened. And so it's this, uh, um, it's a very, very sad tale. And at the same time, a very a kind of, um, you know, this character is speaking from a real sense of denial. And so at the end of the song, and that's now the part that the guitar plays, because uh, in the original, the soprano addresses back the, the male character, the father. Um, the guitar now delivers those lines where uh, the father asks her, so are you are you crazy? Why do you deny me? And she says, yes, of course I'm crazy. Didn't you know? I've, I've been crazy for a long time. And so... There's many reasons why I love that text, and I it was important for me in Komala because it was the first time that I think I felt really comfortable just writing an aria. And composers have their hang-ups. I've been writing music with text and with um, you know tunes and all these kinds of things, but that really felt like an aria. So it was a very important one, and I'm so glad that now it's uh, recorded. There's no other recording, really, of this, of this song. Oh, I'm so glad you were able to write it. You mentioned, um, you mentioned the novel. Can you talk a little bit more about Pedro Paramo and, and what inspired you to create an opera on it? What, what was it about the story that excited you and, and, and you know, inspired you? Um, well, it's a, it's a, I think one of the greatest literary works uh, of the century is, is very well known in Latin America and, and Spain and less so um, outside, although it's translated into, I think, 40-some languages. Um, Juan Rulfo wrote only two books, a collection of short stories and then Pedro Paramo. And it's a, essentially a story of love gone wrong. It's like um, what the worst outcome of a love obsession, perhaps. So the main character uh, becomes, uh, falls in love with this woman when they're very young, when they're practically children. She leaves the town, this little village. And so all his efforts thereafter are to try to um, gain power and, and be, become basically the, the owner of, the, of every, not just of the town, but everyone's lives in a way, just to have the power to bring her back and eventually he brings her back to this town. He, he finds her, um, her father took her to look for mines somewhere. But by then, Susana has gone mad because of all this abuse and all sorts of uh, horrible experiences. And so um, when he has uh, Susana back with him, um, the, she cannot com communicate. So it's, it's a very tragic thing because he has sacrificed everything and in fact sacrificed a lot of people's lives to, to enable this um, idea that he has of this uh, absolute love. But then when she comes back, she, she's, um, you know, I don't know, modern days we would call it schizophrenic or whatever, you know, dissociated. And then eventually Susana dies and Pedro Paramo is so upset uh, about this that he uh, lets the town die of, of hunger. And so the book is told in a very circuitous way. And this, um, you know, this could be a very longer uh, talk, but I was very touched by the, by the story, by the incredible way in which it's narrated, in which um, you realize as you go through the book that all these characters and are actually already dead, their memories, and you have kind of entered this place uh, which um, could, has many points of entry. There's many little stories intertwined. And the character of uh, Susanna was particularly uh, touching um, from a family uh, a history point of view because my paternal grandmother uh, suffered from a very severe mental illness. 
and so I, I growing up I saw this and it's it's very it's just very very gripping to see someone who really loses touch with uh, with the world in the case of my grandmother it was um, losing a child perhaps but also um, being Jewish like escaping persecution and then ending up in Mexico and you know which was probably like going to Jupiter this you know at the, at the time I mean from Vienna you know to Tlaquepaque in Mexico you can imagine the journey so so it has that kind of additional layer which I, I guess for all artists musicians there's always maybe some personal stake but that's you know just my own uh, very personal connection with it. Thanks for sharing that, Ricardo. Um, one of the most striking things about the production that when I was a part of it um, is the addition of uh, puppets from the company La Coparacha. Um, could you speak a little bit, bit about that collaboration? How did it start and how do you think it affected the work? Because I know you were also um, writing and revising during that process. Did it influence any of your writing or how, how did that um, how did that come to come to pass? Yeah, interesting. Well, the writing and rewriting, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's I, I think I, I, I used to feel self-conscious about it and then I embraced it. And now every time the piece is performed, I just add a scene. It's become like now a mantra. <laughs> and so and so it's like a village that keeps growing and this architecture just grows like like a village. You know, as new characters have to build a home, I just build them a, an area or something. And um I've collaborated with, with several uh, other artists. One of them was uh, Darren Stevenson from Push Physical Theater here in Rochester. They did a version of this in 2013. And then this time, I always was very curious about having puppets in this piece um, because puppets are, um, as you know, they, they kind of mediate uh, a, a, a person, the, the person who's operating them. And so they seem to be alive, but they're not alive. And that kind of aspect of it is very much like what's happening in Komala, where there's these um, two singers, the tenor and, and, the, and the soprano, who embody other, all the characters in, in, in the novel. So sometimes you sing the father of Susana, other times you are Pedro Paramo, and so on. And, um, and I really love the puppets by this uh, company. I had worked with them a little bit. And when I talked to the director about doing a version of Komala, he was, uh, you know, immediately very uh, attracted to the idea. And he had found these paintings and this, actually these sculptures by Alejandro Santiago, a very important artist from Oaxaca who died actually in 2013. And Santiago's best known work is called the 2501 <laughs> Migrants. And it's, uh, he made it when he came back from Paris to his little town in Oaxaca and realized that there were that many people missing. And so he thought as a personal kind of something, atonement, that he would make a sculpture for every person that had left. 2,501 sculptures, the one was for him. And so he made these very striking clay sculptures that are probably almost the height of a, of a person. And uh, over a period of three years, worked with a team, and they were all made from terracotta. And I've seen photographs of them, like on the side of a hill. And I don't know if the collection is still together or whether different parts are traveling the world. But the idea of, of the migrants, the persons who are not there, really accorded in some strange way with Komala, just con con conceptually, because in Komala, they're all these spirits who cannot live, live. They cannot leave the town because they say there's not enough people left alive to pray for them to go to heaven. <laughs> there's like not enough prey fuel, you know, to, to <laughs> propel them. And uh, and then on the aesthetic side, of course, the 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 design of these sculptures was it's so much of the earth. It's it's very very uh, striking work, and they're very stiff, so they look also like. Um, the way you imagine, you know, like mummies or things like that. I mean, there's a stiffness to them that's part of the expression. So he decided to uh, design the puppets based on this, and it was wonderful to collaborate with them. I mean, they drove me crazy sometimes <laughs> because, you know, I guess that's what artists do to each other. 
but he is so creative, this guy, and it, it was just, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. That's amazing. Without, um, without putting you on the spot, I mean, where do you see Kamala going and growing in the future? And, and do you have any, um, maybe new ideas, uh, you know, that for Kamala and, and for, you know, future Dieter productions? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to become a solo guitar piece. That's, what, that's where it's going. <laughs> yeah, I think turning this album into a solo guitar album, I think, is yeah, your, next, your next <laughs> It's like guitar with tenor obligato. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, I don't know. I'll have to talk to Jesse. Maybe we can bring the mandolin in now, you know, and, and just like oh, tour with him too, you know. Uh, it'd be wonderful. But um, I, I, I'm just kind of letting it grow as, as it goes. It's, it's, I mean, I don't know if it's a justification for my way of composing, but it feels conceptually really right to just, get more characters to have a voice there more of pedro mm -hmm. paramo who finally appeared because for many years pedro paramo everyone talked about him in the work he was never heard so finally he appeared the the when you uh, perform you premiere that scene uh, with with uh, tony where he speaks about susana papalotes Papa so, oh my god i'm yeah. so glad you kept writing because that is like Probably, I mean, there's so many favorite parts, but I mean, that's clearly a crowd favorite among the Zone Collective. I I, I really enjoy that, um, you know, now having this family also of uh, musicians that I can bring these and everyone is just so kind and amazing with it. And so it's, I I, I guess it'll just grow until I, until I, gone, you know, <laughs> until I'm part of, of some other Kamala. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I think it's just the way it's going to go with that particular piece, just adding slowly. Thank you. Awesome. Um, I'm going to poke Jesse now because he's been he's, he's been too quiet, too quiet, oh, yeah. scheming in the background. Um, um, so, Zach, I have a question. Can you hear sure. me and see me? Oh, I can see you very clearly and you are crystal clear. I, Thank you. I, I can't see or hear myself here. So I'm shooting Can blind any here. Of us really? I'm, I'm, I'm frozen on my screen, so I just wanted to double check. Oh, you look great. Yeah. It's it's perfect. Um, <laughs> Looking good. Yeah. So you know, in the the text of Ricardo's piece, um, you know, it talks about this world that's tearing us apart, um, and you know, the text. I could not have thought of a better you know fit for the text with Dark as Yonder Town, um, which is. You know, it, it talks about the darkness of the world, but it, it really does kind of end on a bit of a hopeful note. I mean, it is the prayer and, and you know, and redemption and, and way forward that I'm hoping we find. And I was just wondering um, if you could talk a little bit about um, your choice of the text and the piece and, and how you came about it and, um, you know, your, your process. Sure. I, I came across the text uh, not by any design of my own. I was just handed that text by my choir director some 15 years ago actually and it's just it's a text from an, an english translation made 150 years ago i think or 100 or even more like 1860s i think of it's just a collection of translations of folk tales and and folk texts and i think they were you know from the british isles and those always struck a chord for me and and this person gave them to me just saying like well if you ever want to set this to music you know it's a special text I'd like you to look through it and i've sort of had it around for a good 15 years or something and so i immediately thought of it when you asked me to write a piece right and uh but also i was thinking of it because of the time in my life that i'm in and i think that's it's so fun to see how this has come to fruition with you and dieter having young children now and my oldest child is now going off to college oh dear and so we're sort of we're sort of on the the opposite end of this and this text for dark is yonder town um speaks of you know dark is yonder town darker those within sort of a, a fear or some feeling of angst about sending your kid off into the world right this you don't know what's going to happen you don't know what the world how they're going to treat your your child it's kind of a delicate and fragile moment in in one's life, I think. I think Ricardo's been through this with his kids as well. He's, <laughs> he's even further along this path than I am. Um, 
but the uh, the next part of the text talks about this brown swan. You are the brown swan going in among them, and that's that's a symbol for a young a young swan that's not yet fully mature. It's, they're brown. They're actually, their feathers are brown when they're young and before they become white feathered, and um, just sending them off with wishes and they give the good graces. Right. You, you just want them to do well in the world and here's what I would love for you to have. And it just seems sort of like this kind of, uh, I don't know what, it, like a, a ritual or something that I could put into a song for two of my favorite musicians. And I, I'm really happy with how it came out and just the overall feeling and the, the, that you guys put into the performance of the work. So, yeah, Thank I, you. I don't know if that really answered your question, but that's what it's about. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. And you know, in writing, could you just talk a little bit about your, the musical? I mean, I, I never get to talk to composers, um, especially not live. <laughs> um, maybe just tell me a little bit about the musical process. So, you know, I asked you to write, I mean, I gave you like super vague, you know, write something. I think I said something, you know, inspired by Dowland or John Donne or, you know, something mm -hmm. in that kind of textual landscape. And you right. came up with this, you know, amazing magnum opus. So how did, how did it get from that line to, you know, handing me, uh, a manuscript over coffee in Oberlin, Ohio. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's always a mystery, mystery to me how a piece comes about, because I think it was just many days sitting with a guitar and trying to come up with some line over a cool chord that I came up with. And, and then after that came together, it was sort of like, okay, what can I cut out of this? Or what can I add to put all these parts together into something that makes a form? Because really, I, I don't know how Ricardo feels about this, but often the notes are not hard, but it's how the notes make sense over a form that is really difficult for me personally. Um, and so I have tons of notes in my hands and in my head, but just making them into something that's compelling across the, across, in time is what's hard for me. So I would just say I just sat with the guitar and tried to sing the lines and, and that's how it came about. But I also want to say that musicians, such as the two of you, can sort of act like a muse. Often, often when I go to think of how to write a piece, I'll just close my eyes and imagine the people I'm writing for coming out onto a stage that I love and know, um, real or imagined, and they just start playing my piece. And then often I'll, that'll give me some inspiration for what to do um, with the notes I've been writing. So you guys definitely did that because I know both of your playing and, and Zach, I must say, when I think of writing for tenor, yours is the voice I think of. <laughs> and when I think of writing for guitar, Dieter. <laughs> so this was a dream collaboration. As a tenor, I couldn't hear that enough. So I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I if I may just say how also both of your music uh, becomes a sort of a part of our lives. I mean, for me, of course, Komala has been with me for many years uh, and, and it's been wonderful to see grow. But also, um, I, you know, it's funny, but um, I, over this Italian festival a few years ago, uh, it's where I fell in love with my wife. And I, it's when I was cramming for Ricordanza, which is your solo guitar piece, Jesse. Right. And we always uh, uh, think of Ricordanza and it just it reminds us, it puts us right there, you know, this really beautiful absolutely magical work that I was desperately trying to make justice uh, in this festival where I had to learn many works. Uh, I remember and, that. And um, so it's, and now of course, um, with Dark Gender Town and also with the guitar concerto, which we had have not been able to premiere because of COVID, but that it's already written and, and I've been already practicing it. And, it's, and as I told you before the podcast, I thank you because it's really helped me get through this quarantine, you know, that, to have this beautiful work that I, I it just pushes me, pushes my technique, um, and um, and I guess what what I what I just wanted to to ask you, Jesse, is um, of course um, you play both mandolin and guitar um, extremely well, and you know there's many videos of you on YouTube doing this. Um, I just wonder um, when you're writing for the instrument do how do you come up with ways to 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 push the player in, in to, to sort of the technical extremes i mean to this sort of there's this level of virtuosity but that's also 
very rewarding from the from the side of the player. Uh, everything works, everything fits, but it still uh, creates a very unique sonority. And without um, without sort of uh, giving into sort of uh, it's not necessarily that formulaic or you know the way guitar writing can get you know. Mm. But, well, um, I, <laughs> I'm happy to hear to to hear you say that it works because whatever you're saying only comes from me not knowing what I'm doing. <laughs> Very honestly, like the mandolin is really not that much like the guitar, right? It's totally different fingerings. Um, I play banjo much more than I play the guitar, and I think those three finger rolls yeah. sort of transfer into how I think about the guitar, which is definitely not you know the four finger thing that guitarists do. So I honestly, very honestly, that's my answer. I don't actually know anything about the guitar. Uh, honestly, I don't, know where the, I don't know, it's very honest. I don't know what the hell the notes are when I look at the neck, I, I'm feeling it out and I have to figure out what the notes are later. So it's, it's very much just like me looking in the dark at this thing. And I now have something like two hours of guitar music and it's still a mystery. Amazing. And I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, but I'm, I'm very happy to hear you say that it works because I'm just oh, yeah. like, oh man, the guitar again. That's what <laughs> I quote from Jesse Jones. I don't know how to write for guitar. That's oh, how man, I feel every time. Again. It's a hard instrument to write for. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I like how this is becoming a support group now. Yeah. <laughs> we're all, we're all talking. I've been a tenor for nine years. Yeah. Um, amazing. Um, Dieter, do you have any, do you have any more questions for these fine young gentlemen? Well, um, I guess, um, Well, with Jesse, he already wrote a guitar concerto. So for Ricardo, my question is, you know, when is a guitar concerto coming? Which, of course, we know that Papalotes was first a guitar concerto, and then it became a movement of Comala. So I know when Ricardo tells me, I'm going to write a concerto for guitar now, that it's going to be another movement of Comala. But uh, um, I'm just wondering, where is it? You know, we, we are, we're waiting for it. You know, I, I asked myself the same question. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's 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 interesting because I, I I think it's just the way the inspiration works. You know, it's interesting to hear Jesse and the the kind of physicality of, of the instrument and um, and getting into that particular um, uh, performative mode of composing. I think ultimately the best music, like all composers, have I think that conversation, or at least it should be there. I think the idea that you are in the performative space of composing and also thinking about it. And it's that kind of weird conversation that actually makes you grow in time and really uh, find a way forward so that you're not doing the same thing, but you keep uh, that. If you're not in that performative space, then I think you're not really composing with your full musicianship. You're composing with just, you know, this um, part of the brain that tells you all sorts of wonderful reasons why you should or should not do something. So I, I identify with that a lot of getting kind of lost in the piece. And the problem is that um, the sense of vocal line is always so strong that I, I end up wanting always to have a, a singer and also because of the connection with literature. So it's true that I've written several pieces that were supposed to be for like a guitar concerto. One was also, an, it's now a song, uh, Day, in, uh, in in the country, right? It became that, and then Papalotes became uh, that. Although with Papalotes, I kind of knew from the get-go because I was using ideas from Comala, and, and so then then it just went in. But my, you know, I'm I'm trying, and uh, you know, it's one of my aspirations. You know, now I'll listen to Jesse's concerto and maybe get get some pointers, and and you know, hopefully one day. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting just from the guitar writing standpoint how um especially the early movements of komala where it was a more percussive use of the instrument um and and it's it's been and it has been transit sort of transitioning to a more melodic role in a way if i can use that um but uh, but for jesse it's always been a very sort of um 
a, a very melodic use of the guitar. I mean, that's what what stands out about Ricordanza. You know, you have this this beautiful lines uh, that then that you kind of uh, then um, add this beautiful uh, robust textures, you know, with the lots of arpeggios and, and and so on and so forth. But it's not the sort of um, uh, the percussive use of, uh, let's say, like a uh, last moment of a ginastera sonata or or subir uh, bajar um, from Kamala or or whatnot. And I'm wondering um, uh, for you, Jesse, what's because um, you've we've collaborated now in several works of yours. I mean, there's Recordanza, there's this the the preludes, uh, um, the Rachmaninoff inspired preludes uh, that we. Uh, that came about upon our conversations in Madison, Wisconsin, a few years back, and at then the premiere of another work at the premiere of another work. That's mm -hmm. right, the flute and guitar sonata, which is mm -hmm. um, uh, just amazing. Which is uh, in the album City of Duo Damiana. Just a little sponsor plug there for myself, <laughs> where I played with the great Molly Barth, uh, flute teacher at Vanderbilt, and then let's of keep, course let's keep the advertisements to minimum, please. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, uh, but now the concerto, of course, and and you kind of have. I don't know if if I could I could be wrong, but you have you have not used the guitar in a in a very percussive way. Would you say? I, I haven't. Um, I of course absolutely respect um, Ricardo's music, and of course the Hinesteras Sonata. I just have never felt comfortable with those with those techniques, or that I I would use them and they'd be gimmicky, right? And um, because I feel like if I if they don't naturally come to my head, then if I try to use them, it would be sort of forced and fake. I'm, mm -hmm. And I really admire music that can do it without seeming that way. And there's so much of it. But for me, yeah. I just I, I just don't hear it. And so yeah, that's that's how it is. Yeah. I I must say though, one thing I love about the guitar, and especially having written for the guitar with voice, is that what I love about it is that it's such a small instrument and even a forte. On the guitar it seems loud but it's not actually loud you know right and if you're if you're quiet on the guitar then the audience has to really focus in on this very small intimate place even even in a forte it's not actually that loud and that matches and balances so well with the voice um and i i feel like especially the guitar with zach's particular tenor voice is just really satisfying to hear because of that right. balance Thanks. I, yeah. I, I love working with guitar because um, you can, you still have the same kind of forte range, um, but you can really take it down to this little thin, thin exactly. and I can do colors with a guitar. I can't do with an orchestra and it's so rewarding to be able to do that in public. <laughs> um, and uh, I just, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. So. Well, it's just kind of tying it in a little bit with what you were talking on at the beginning, Zach, how, and about um, just how um, you went to Tanglewood and you've met all these great musicians. And it, it made me think, as I have some of my students uh, tuning in to this uh, podcast, how uh, in a way, um, when we're um, beginning our careers in music, it's sort of like in... Um, in sports, you no, know, you're drafted to one team or another, and you just play with that team. But then eventually, you have to move on and create your own dream team, you know. And this is what I feel like. These collaborations have been—I feel that way to me—that I've been able to now uh, just collaborate with the musicians that I want, and um, to—and it has taken me to explore music that I honestly didn't see myself recording. I never thought I was going to record the Britain folk songs, uh, not because I don't like them, just because, um, it, I don't know, it was out of my radar, no? but then when I heard you and and just the way, the way you did them, the way you sing this repertoire, the Dowland and the Britain and everything else, of course, it's just so beautiful and it's so effortless that you say, okay, this is, I, I have to, I have to do, I have to do this project. And it's also, uh, it kind of shapes the way you, that I feel uh, for me as a performer, the way the sounds that I try to get out of my guitar are, are directly linked. You know, when you're accompanying a singer, it's it's a it's a it's a dialogue. So it it makes you go, uh, you know, you know, to unexpected places acoustically speaking, to try to get sounds of the instrument that would hopefully match your voice. No, absolutely, and I say right back at you. I mean, it, this has been a musical dream team for me, and 
you know, 2018 was just a transformative year working with the Zone Collective. And, you know, I was like, I don't know where this music came from, but why wasn't it in my life in conservatory? And why can't I just keep doing this all the time? Um, so I feel like this group partnership, um, we'll be seeing hopefully some more things, maybe a solo guitar concerto from everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll I, I background liked, I personally <laughs> liked the idea about... Uh, guitar, mandolin, and tenor from Ricardo. Hey, that's, that should happen. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. Yeah, yeah. you know, but I, I'll have to tell you, um, when, when I when when <laughs> I just remember something very funny that when I wrote that piece that you performed, Jesse, mm -hmm. it was remember, there was like a concertino group of clocked instruments, right? Yeah, with harpsichord yeah. in the middle. Yeah, harpsichord yeah. and, and guitar and all sorts of things. And I remember I wrote this this uh, mandolin. So I went and bought myself a mandolin and I returned it at the end of the day because I couldn't make a sound out of it. <laughs> it was like so hard to. So I thought I played the yeah. guitar. Oh my God, it's like, yeah. And so so I returned the thing and then so I thought, well, you know, I'll just ask Jesse. So I sent Jesse these chords that I had and I said, hey, Jesse, what do you think? And he's like, no, explain why they were difficult and, you know, maybe how to make them easier and all this stuff so they would sound better. So then I, I reworked them. I send them to him and he says, okay, now they sound worse. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, God, it's, it's interesting because it seems like such a, you know, simple instrument, like the tuning, like a violin, right? mm -hmm. it's so difficult to really write well for it, but it's a, so, so it's a totally different instrument than the guitar. I learned that. It really so, is. It so really now is. I, That's I funny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was really funny. But um, no, that would be that would be awesome to do. And I, I just wanted to just uh, just add like that social aspect of music making is something that um, it's very different from the models of generations before or this idea that the composer um, kind of has to write for whatever and you just do it and yes in some ways sometimes you get a commission you write a piece and all that but i believe that ultimately um when you're really connected to a group of of musicians um then it really changes your composition i, I mean i don't know I, I can't really even stress that like now when i think of the the people i collaborate with and all this um it really it changes you it, it shapes how how you write what um what you want to do and you know i'm sure um you know jesse can talk to that too i mean it's it's really there's the social component is very enmeshed with the artistic one um to a degree that it's hard to to know before you're in that situation um so yeah it's been great to yeah, to have you guys there <laughs> for that reason yeah. absolutely awesome well um, I'm so happy that everyone could get together from the confines of their room and say hello. And um, I'm so grateful to have you all in my life. Um, and I miss you all so very much. Um, and I hope we can make beautiful music together in person soon. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for showing up here and producing this or for writing this beautiful music and for Dieter for showing up at some point. And I think he did something. Um, and uh, here's some many solo guitar concertos with vocal equipment <laughs> from here on out. Well, actually, I have to add, I mean, as we had already talked about Zach, with that we, there was this realization, you know, when we finished this album, that this was the first of our collection. You know? Like it's the first of many. It's just that sometimes you you strike a chord, you know, you strike that collaboration. And uh, um, I, I, I would love to, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure we will actually, uh, if if, uh, if, the, if there are no future pandemics in our horizon, um, that to head to Seattle every couple of years and work with Mark and 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 create a body of works, which is what I, I, I'm really passionate about. That create to continue to create uh, literature for our instrument. The guitar has we have a. We have a wonderful repertoire, but we also have a long way to go, and and that's that's more or less where I, I I like to think that I can help with that. Absolutely, that is definitely happening. I'm you know both of both of uh, you know Jesse and Ricardo have instilled in, in me such a love of new music, um, 
And I'm going to keep doing it, as I said, until I can't. And I want you all involved. And, and you know, Dieter can come out to Seattle. And Remy and Santi can have a play date. And, you know, oh, that would be great. Really cute. Oh, nice. oh, that would be lovely. Well, Santi's taking a nap right now. That's why the house is quiet. I wonder if that's the same thing that's happening. Remy's not taking a nap. Oh. Is really, really being a heroine right now. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone. Thanks, Mark, for hosting. And, um, you know, I hope we meet again soon. And I know we'll be all be collaborating again soon. And um, lots of love from Seattle. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Thank, thank you. you all. Thank you all, Jesse Ricardo.